0: Yeah, you know, just coming through what we've wrapped up here as a church, just feeling a little bit of liberty from the Lord to land in a few different spots. And, um, and so I wanted to do that again this morning, not feeling the sense of needing to rush into whatever's next. And so just, just praying and just uh, sensing where things are at in the world. Wanted to just chat about a pandemic. It's called, uh, it's a pandemic, It's a, and it has to do with anxiety and worry and fear. That's the true pandemic of our world. And so uh, just as a church, I just want us to center again on the Word of God this morning and remind us what the Scripture teaches us and what it declares us about G- to, to us about Jesus and our relationship with the Lord and how we... We look and respond to the things that are happening around us. And so uh, I'm going to get you guys to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. The scripture is going to come up on the screen. Uh, But you can go there in your Bible. And I'm going to invite you to stand. Would you stand with me? Colossians chapter 3. It says this in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. In glory. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we're going to consider from the Gospels and what we're going to consider from the Old Testament this morning. We thank you that our life is hidden in Christ, that we belong to you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us in the attitudes of our heart, Lord, that you would help us in the attitudes and thoughts of our mind as we consider um, your word this morning, Lord, that we would uh, come in line with you. And, and be uh, your witnesses to this world. And so, Father, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your church. I thank you, Lord, that your word declares to us that your church is the pillar and foundation of truth, Lord, that we have a light that we're to shine, that we're to be salt in this world, Lord. And so, Father, would you help us? Would you help us to have your heart and to have your mind? And, um, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on, you may be seated. Great text there in Colossians chapter 3, don't you think? Saying you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Set your affection on things that are above. Set your affection and your thoughts on the place where Christ is seated. Where is he seated? The right hand of his father. That's a, a position of, of authority and victory. And the scripture says you have died with him. It's amazing to think about that. That, that you have died with Christ. And you are actually hidden with him. You're, you're tucked away. Hidden. That means that you are covered. I think of the blood of Jesus that covers us. That, to say that you're hidden means that in Christ you are concealed. There is a covering over your life you know it's interesting Jesus in the gospels talked about something that was hidden he told the parable of the hidden treasure to the crowds as he taught them and he said the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field which a man found and he covered up and then in his joy he went and sold all that he had to buy that field so that he could acquire that treasure And Jesus was teaching this to those who heard him. He was teaching that that is how we are to treat the kingdom. We're to treat the kingdom of heaven like a treasure. It's to be the thing that we treasure in our lives. And amazingly, Colossians chapter 3 tells us that that is how Jesus treats you and I. We're to treat his kingdom like his treasure. And he treats us like a treasure. He's gone out and done everything that he can to acquire us for his kingdom and for his glory. He's come he, he, he came in the flesh, gave his life on the cross for the sins of the world, and he purchased us with his blood, and his word declares that he's hidden us in him, that we're tucked away. And I've, I've been, uh, you know how can you not thinking about all of the things that are going on in the world these days? It's just like, it doesn't feel like mayhem out there. It's just like chaos. It's like coming at you from different directions. You don't know, you know, you don't know what's going on in the economy. You don't know what's going on in the world of of health and sickness and disease and all of these things. And there are fears and anxiety and worry gripping our world and grasping at people and, You know, all you gotta how can you not kind of get sucked into it, right? It's just like if you got an iPhone, it's just like the news feed or whatever, you turn on the TV, it's just like coming at you in waves and waves and waves, and it feels like it kind of breaks you down, doesn't it? That's why it's so important. I just was like I just felt so encouraged even standing here this morning singing and worshiping and declaring the things that we're declaring together as the people of God, the hope that we have in Christ and I would just say to you, church, we need a vision of the kingdom. We have to keep the vision of the kingdom of God in mind. Because the truth is this, God has set this world underneath our feet. But you can't really put this world under your feet until you get a clear vision of what's above you. You've been hidden with Christ. You've been hidden with Christ and God. And in the days of Elijah, I remember, I, I just love the story of Elijah in the Old Testament. And I, I love the, the history. I'm going to just ask, can we shut it down in the coffee bar? We'll do dishes later. I'm sorry, Candice. I know you're not feeling well. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Just the rattle of utensils and stuff. I don't, I don't get knocked off course too often. but. And Candice, we love you. It's okay that you're coughing. Um, and so I love in the, in, in the days of Elijah, like the spiritual climate that you saw, that you see and you read about in the Old Testament. The scripture tells us about Elijah, how the Lord called him from his little community in Gilead, and he was to go to Ahab, this wicked king, and he went to Ahab, and he said, King Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain in, this, in, in these years except by my word. And Elijah had to declare to Ahab, here's what he had to say to the spirit of the world. He had to say, the Lord lives. See, in the days of Elijah and in the days of King Ahab, the nation had like turned to the worship of false gods. They had worshipped Baal. Queen Jezebel and King Ahab were the big promoters of that. And there was all sorts of wickedness in the worship of, of Baal. And in fact, Baal was actually considered the, the god of the reign. And they had their temples and their idolatry that was happening. And Elijah had to go to Ahab, the king of the nation, and say to him and remind him, The Lord... The God of Israel is alive. He's well. He is seated on his throne. He's he's living and there will not be rain or dew in these years except by my word. And so Elijah, Elijah had been and he was being prepared by the Lord to demonstrate to all of Israel that Yahweh is alive, that he's still the one and true God. And In fact, the name Elijah means Yahweh is my God. It conveys a fact. Yahweh is my God and the Lord is alive and well. And he had been prepared by the Lord to declare this to the nation and church. That's our job, to declare to the nations, to declare to the world that Jesus is alive and well and he is seated on a throne and nothing is outside of his control or his command. I think about Elijah and perhaps he, he heard the movements of King, heard about the, the plans and the scheming of, and movements of Ahab and Jezebel, how they were increasing uh, the wor- increasing to replace the worship of the Lord with the worship of, of Baal. And his, his heart was stirred up and God gave him a mission. And he went to the city of Samaria with this message, bursts into the palace with an ultimatum for King Ahab. He claimed the Lord is the God of Israel, he's alive, and I'm his servant, and it's not going to rain until the Lord says, until I say through the Lord. And Elijah declared there'd be neither dew nor rain because God had promised to withhold hold them from the land of Israel if the people worshipped other people. False gods, and so God had apparently revealed to Elijah that He was going to honor that promise in His day. And and like I said, Baal was the god of rain, so this struck right at the heart of of Baalism because they believed their god was the god of rain. And so the drought that was brought on by the true God showed that He, the living God, was the God of Israel, not not Baal controls the weather. Was this, I don't know, amazing, powerful, remarkable demonstration of God's superiority over the gods of the nations of the world, over the falsehood of who Baal is. So Elijah goes, he delivers this word to Ahab, and then God speaks to Elijah, and he tells him, Elijah, depart from here, go east, and go to the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And there you will drink by that brook, and I have commanded there that the ravens would feed you. And so here's Elijah, he makes this dramatic announcement before the king of Israel, and then the Lord tells him to leave the city and to go eastward, and the Lord tells him, hide yourself. Hide yourself in a ravine, hide yourself east of the Jordan River, and and. You're going to need to hide Elijah because you're going to be hunted by the king. You're going to be hunted out by Jezebel who is seeking out the prophets of God to, to, to murder them and to kill them. Now, so Elijah takes off and he goes to this brook Cherith and actually kind of just geographically, we don't know where the brook Cherith is. It's one of those streams that would have flowed during the rainy season, but dried up as the weather turned hot. And God promised that he would provide there for Elijah food and drink in this unlikely spot. And so Elijah goes. He does what God tells him to do. He goes and he lives by the brook Cherith. And then, this is in 1 Kings 17, the scripture tells us that God sent ravens. Amazing. That ravens brought to him Bread and meat in the morning, and the ravens brought to him bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook, and after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And so Elijah takes off, he listens to the the word of the Lord, he obeys the Lord, and God miraculously provides for him uh, by ravens. It's kind of nasty to think about it. It's not exactly, you know, those crows, those black crows around here that we see everywhere. They don't seem to me like the cleanest, nicest birds. They're scavengers. Usually, you know, if something gets into the garbage at home that you've left out and it's going to poke through the bag, it's going to (laughs) be one of those crows. So I don't know if they were, you know, I don't know where they got their bread and their meat and how they carried it, (laughs) if it was in their mouth or if they, I don't even want to say, regurgitated it or whatever it was. God directed these ravens. And it's interesting, ravens have this, this uh, characteristic about them. Ravens are known for neglecting their young. That they're not they're not good at caring for their little ones, that little ravens are often left in the nest to fend for themselves. And so here's God. God directs these birds that normally neglect neglect their own young to bring bread and meat faithfully to Elijah and they bring it every morning and they bring it every evening. In Job thirty-eight forty-one, it says this, who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food. See, the Lord, even Job talked about this, that young ravens cry out to the Lord for their food. And God provides for them. And so here's Elijah. He, he drank water from the brook and got food from ravens. And through this really strange way that I'd never want to be provided food for, God provided for him and he was physically nourished. And God was nourishing. Here's what I want to tell you about this. God was nourishing Elijah's faith for later spiritual battles. God was nourishing Elijah's faith for later feats of spiritual strength. See, Elijah had a lot more coming down the pipe for himself. And church, I just have to wonder if there's a lot more coming down the pipe. (laughs) Elijah was going to have to stand against the prophets of Baal and declare you know, there is a God in Israel, and there was going to be the whole showdown with the prophets of Baal. He was going to have to deal with King Ahab and and Jezebel yet, and, and God was teaching Elijah in the midst of what was going on. He was nourishing his faith so that Elijah would understand there's going to be more battles, and I'm going to take you through those battles as well. And raven, these, here's these ravens bringing food, and it's, it's amazing that the, the ravens are even fed by God's protective care, that they're looked after by God. And now ravens feed the prophet Elijah. Psalm 147 verse 9 says this about ravens, that he gives to the beasts their food and to the ra- young ravens that cry. That God looks after the ravens. And you know, we've experienced, you guys like Elijah, we've experienced the goodness of God in our lives. We have an experience of the goodness, God's special goodness to us. And so we we have to learn this lesson. First to acknowledge God's sovereign power, that our God that we serve is a sovereign God over all of the earth. That he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth That God makes all creatures to serve Him and He can use them in whatever way He pleases because He is the sovereign Lord. He can work in acts of judgment, He can work in acts of mercy, He can work in acts of grace, however He wants to do. He's the sovereign Lord. But then we also need to remember this that, that we need to encourage ourselves from the Word of God and recognize that in whatever difficulty comes, we can trust God, that we can trust him, that he's able to, like he did for Elijah, he can set a table in the wilderness, say, here's your food. He He can make ravens providers for his people. He can make the creatures of this earth servants to his prophet. He's able to supply all of our need, the scripture says, according to his riches and glory. And you think about this world, the the powers of nature are limited, but the powers of God are not limited to work in the midst of nature. Even Elijah's brook eventually dried up. That's what happened for him. And the truth is this, the heavens can fail. The earth can fail. We can lose creature comforts. We can lose the things that we love to have and that are convenient for us, like a summer brook they can dry up like it did for Elijah. You know, don't trust summer brooks. <laughs> We've got lots of those around the Bay Area here that dry up in summer. But there's a river, the scripture tells us, there is a river that makes glad the city of God. That there is a river of God that never runs dry. There's a well, Jesus said, that springs up to eternal life. And if you come to me, you can drink of it and you'll never thirst. Living water. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus had a message for his disciples. He had a message for those who were following him. It was not a message that he taught to the crowd. Listen, this was not a message taught to the crowd. Was, this was not a message publicly proclaimed to thousands of people. This was a message that he gave to his disciples, to those who were following him, to those who were learning from him, to those who were apprenticing from him. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, to those who were following him, this was a truth that was not available to those who didn't follow him. This was a reality for those who followed Jesus, and it's a reality for you if you follow Jesus. He said this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon... And all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O little of faith? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, That's crazy, like in the culture, the current, you know, wave that's happening, especially in North America, like just anxiety, worry, fear. It is an epidemic. It's like pandemic. There's, I'm like, I keep thinking this. There's a pandemic. There is. Just identifying the wrong one. Had this interesting conversation going on between some of the local pastors this week. We were online we're saying, hey, how are you gonna respond to the coronavirus in your church? What are you gonna say? What are you gonna do? And there's like this answer to this answer. I mean, it's just as wide as, wide as all get out. And I just, thinking about this, I'm like, man, Lord, why are we worrying? Why are we so afraid? Seek first the kingdom, trust in you, I want to give you some stats. Did you know in the U.S. someone dies from a heart attack every 37 seconds? In 2015 alone, just from heart attacks in America, 634,000 Americans died from heart disease. Let that sink in. I'll tell you the greatest virus is dealing with your heart. The heart has to be dealt with. Before you fear anything, you should deal with your heart. And I'm talking spiritually, talking spiritually, and something is out of order in this world in the pandemic of anxiety and worry. And as a follower of Jesus, listen, as a follower of Jesus, you are not to participate Look at church, this is a great opportunity for the body of Christ. This is opportunity for the gospel of Jesus. Do not participate in what this world fears. Do not participate in their anxiety. Do not participate in their fear. Do not be anxious, Jesus said, about your life. It's not my words. It's Jesus' words. Don't be anxious about your life. He said, consider the ravens. Man, yesterday morning I got up, I went for a walk, and I was stunned, man. I'm just outside. And I'm like, everywhere I went, I heard birds singing. It was like the Lord speaking to me for the message this morning. I'm like, wow, they're not afraid. There's like no fear in the birds. They're like singing. They're having a great time. I'm like, woohoo, sun's out. Look at all the sailboats. It's a gorgeous day. God is good. His mercy's new every morning. And the birds were singing. And like everywhere I went, I ran into ravens picking on the beach and hanging out with the ducks at the marina and in the maple trees. And they all seem like they're doing okay. Everybody looks well fed and they're not full of fear. Jesus said this, consider the lilies. Consider the flowers of the field. Don't you, don't you just love this time of year? Like even this morning, walking to the church, there's just crocuses everywhere, all over Lord Gibsons, just everywhere. In the cool of the morning, they're tightly closed up and I look forward to walking home when the sun's warmed them, and they will have opened up. They came up, no man made them come up. And it was God, his design and his creation. Jesus says, consider the birds. You're worth more than they are. Consider the flowers. I do this work. It's me. I want to tell you some things about worry. Number one, worry is destructive, church. Worry will destroy you. The word in scripture that is translated anxious means this. It means literally to be torn apart. To have your limbs torn from you. It's like picture in your mind being like like the old way of like being attached to two horses. And then being sent in different directions. That's what anxiety is. That's what worry is, to be pulled in different directions. It means, it means to tear or to be pulled apart with teeth like a dog attack. Like if you've suffered from anxiety, you know this, that anxiety has teeth to it. And when it sinks its teeth into you, it doesn't want to let go. The word in this text in verse 29 that is translated worry means to have a doubtful mind. To have a mind that wavers and fluctuates. It actually is the picture of a ship being tossed on the sea in a storm, up and down and disappearing between the waves, and that your mind can be like that. that that's what worry is. The English word worry actually has this old definition in the original sense, like in the Anglo-Saxon history of the word worry It means to harass and to strangle. That worry is a strangler. That worry sets its hand around your neck and it chokes off life, chokes off breath. Corey Tenboon says this Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength man, we're the church. We're the people of God. There is strength for today. God's mercies are new. And worry is destructive. It will empty today of its strength, but the kingdom of God, worry is destructive, but the kingdom of God is instructive. And the kingdom of God, the word of God says this, there is strength for today. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. You're hidden with Jesus. I'll tell you something else about worry it's destructive and worry is deceptive. It's a liar. It it gives a false view of life, it gives a false view of itself, it gives a false view of God. Worry does this worry convinces you that in your life the things that matter are what you eat and what you wear. And we can get so focused on those things that we can forget that the chief aim of life is this. Not what you eat and what you wear. The chief aim of our lives as followers of Jesus is to bring glory to God. To glorify God. And worry blinds us to the world around us. Worry blinds us to the fact that God is caring for creation. Worry blinds us to the fact that God loves people. Well, the birds—the birds The birds don't get sucked into it. They sing and they know God's their provider. No worry or no no anxiety. God makes the flowers of the field beautiful and he feeds the birds of the air, which means this, Jesus said, he can look after you. He can look after me. And Jesus says you can look at the birds of the air and the flowers and be encouraged. Trust me. Cooperate with me. Be, be used by me. Use your abilities and your giftings and the opportunities that I set before you for the kingdom of God, for God's glory. And so worry is deceptive. It, it, it blinds us. We can actually be deceived into thinking that worry is like accomplishing something for us. Oh, like it's good, I'm worried about this. No, it's not. It's never good. Jesus said you can't even add an, an extra span to your life. You can't, you can't add any time to your life by worrying. You can't make yourself, it's a a span, you can't make yourself any taller. I know some of you would like to do that. You cannot make yourself any taller by worrying. Worry adds nothing. All it is is this, it's a thief. It's a robber. It takes life. It doesn't preserve life. If God feeds the birds of the air, he'll certainly look after us, his children. If God can cause The flower to blossom and the grass to grow, then surely he can clothe us. He can do anything. Jesus said the problem is this. The problem is your faith. You have little faith. See, every flower, every time we see a flower, church, every blade of grass is a witness to us. We're we're called to be witnesses to this world. Every flower, every bird, every blade of grass is a witness to us to the power of the creator who is our Father and our God. And so worry is deceptive. It gives you a false view of your life, but, but the kingdom of God is truth, and it says this, Jesus says this, or the scripture tells us this, that our life is hidden with Christ. We're hidden. Worry is also damaging. Worry like deforms you. It stops you from growing. It makes you, like Jesus said, it'll make you like the world. Worry will make you like this world. I don't want to be like this world. Make us like unsaved people. Worry makes you act like people who don't know Jesus. Worry is unchristian. It's interesting to, to, to think about this, but like worry, anxiety has teeth. It will damage you. You know, the other day I like, Accidentally ended up on like a website that showed pit bull attacks. I'm like, oh my gosh, man, it was awful. These people deformed by dog attacks. Where he wants to deform you. It wants to get its teeth in you and it wants to deform the image of God that God has made in you. It wants to destroy you and mangle you. And Jesus says it, it, it will deform you and it will cause you to act like the world. I mean, how can we reach out to those who don't know Jesus if we ourselves are f- filled with worry and anxiety? Like, it's, it's just obvious that it's, like, inconsistent to preach faith in Jesus and then to practice worry in your life. Worry is damaging. But the kingdom of God is safety. Safety. The kingdom of God is security. Like Elijah, hidden in a ravine while wicked Ahab was ruling and Queen Jezebel was seeking his life. Hidden. Hidden like Moses in the cleft of the rock. Hidden like the servants of David whom Absalom sought and they were were tucked away and hidden in the ground hidden like the spies in Rahab's Rahab's house on the roof, or hidden like Jotham in the house of the Lord while wicked Queen Athaliah was reigning over the land. Jonathan said to David, he said, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard, stay in the secret place, and hide yourself. Saul wants to kill you. That picture of the flesh. The flesh wants to kill you, but the scripture tells us this: that you're hidden in Christ. Take refuge in the secret place. Take refuge in your hiding place. As Psalm 17.8 says this: keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. That's what the psalmist said. There's safety, Lord, in your presence. The Lord said to his people in Isaiah, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. Enter the rock. Hide yourself in the midst of the terror. Look at, we should not respond to the things that the world fears and worries and is terrified of. We do not, or we do not respond in the way the world responds. And so how do we win the battle against anxiety? It's a, anxiety and worry, that's a spiritual battle. We have to realize this, we have to know this, that God knows your needs, church. God knows what you need. Your Father in heaven knows what you need. Look again at, at verse 29 of Luke chapter 12. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Father knows. You can trust your Father to meet your needs. His word tells us that we're the sheep of his flock, that we're his children, that we're his servants, that he will see that our needs are met, God knows our needs. The second thing that we see in this text is this, is that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock. I like that word, little, those words, little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? That it's like, gives God pleasure it's a good pleasure that he loves it to give you the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the love of the Father. And so as followers of Jesus, those as those who are part of the the kingdom of God, we, we, we have to look from heaven's point of view. We have to make sure that we put God's kingdom first and everything, and that's the challenge. That's the real battle, to put God's kingdom first. And, and so that means this, that the most important question you can ask yourself is where is my heart? Lord, where am I in all this? If my heart is fixed on the things of this earth, Well, the earth is passing away. That's what the scripture says. If if my heart is here, then there will always be worry and there will always be anxiety and there will be fear. But the word of God says, put first things first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And if we're fixed on the eternal, then God's peace, the scripture tells us, that his peace will guard our hearts and his peace will guard our minds. And so the simple question is always this, where's my heart at, Lord? Where's my heart? What am I trusting in, Lord? Move my heart to trust you. And Jesus gives the the solution in this text to help your heart get right. If you're having trouble with your heart right now, and anxiety and fear and worry is set in and is gripping you, well, Jesus says that there is, there is a solution, and it's in this text. He says this, you need to divest in this world. You need to deprive the world of its power. Look again at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure and... Ha- in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is amazing. That Jesus says, and we don't like this. We read this and we go, I don't like that. That was for them. This isn't for us. He says, you got to divest in this world, disciples. You got to divest your interest in this world and invest in the kingdom of God. You know, I read this and we know this that there's nothing wrong with owning a home. Of course not. Car or things. But the question is always this do we own them or do they own us? And this is an exhortation to self denial, to give of what you have liberally, to invest in the treasure that cannot be stolen and in the treasure that cannot be devalued. Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? What has your heart? And if you are living in fear and anxiety, I want to tell you something else has your heart, not Jesus. So you have to divest. You have to say, Lord, what are you calling me to get rid of? Because I'll get rid of it. Sometimes, you know, fasting is this thing where it's just like where we teach the body in fasting. It's like, you know, has something amazing happened because I don't eat food? No, what it, what, I would say this. What happens is this, is you teach the flesh a lesson. You say, flesh, I don't live for earthly things. The things of the spirit come first. So I'm just reminding you, Saul, get in your place. I serve David. And Sometimes we need to do that with the things of this world. We just got to say, possessions, you don't own me. Let me remind you. I deny myself for the kingdom of God. She said, sell it. Get rid of it. Where's your heart? We need a vision of the kingdom. And Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, we look at this world, I just like, the fields are ripe, church, unto harvest. They're ripe. They are ripe unto harvest. I've been just... I've been so encouraged, Greg. I was so encouraged on Friday night, man. Eli was so encouraged on Monday night. Young men and women are flocking to young life and the youth group, kids that aren't from, I'm like encouraged. Be- because there's, there's, a, there's a hunger. There's a hunger. There's a, there's a harvest. Be a laborer. Here's what you could be. You could be anxious or you could be a laborer. Labor for the kingdom of God. Don't worry, respond like a child and trust your father. Get the vision for the kingdom and hide yourself. Go to the ravine. Go to the cleft in the rock. Go to that secret place because you have a source, a secret, hidden source in Christ Jesus himself. And you can't put the reality of this world under your feet, feet, (laughs) under your thief. You can't put the reality of this world under your feet until you get a vision of that which God has put over your head as kingdom. Do not fear, little flock. Church, I believe this. In these days, God is preparing us to demonstrate to this world that Jesus is Lord. God has called us to be witnesses. We are being prepared to demonstrate to the world that Jesus is Lord. And the way we demonstrate that is by not acting like the world acts. Our Father, He's got us. We're hidden in Christ. Set your minds on things that are above rather than things of earth. Seek first the kingdom. And if it means divesting in this world, then get rid of it. Divest for the glory of God. Would you stand with me?